0: I'm John, lovely to meet you if we've not met before. Um, and yeah, Nate's right, we're going to be starting today to look at this series that we're going to be looking at for the, the next few weeks over the summer, called Life Hacks, where we're exploring this book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, full of wisdom. Uh, in the first service this morning, we, we did this, wisdom for Proverbs. Um, and, um, and so we're going to be t- taking a look at this verse in particular that we just read on the screen. Um, and we're going to be exploring what it is to be a friend that brings life. What it means to be a good friend. And actually, in a time where um, it's quite difficult to be a friend, where we're all connected, but so disconnected, what does it mean to be a really good friend? Um, so I thought we'd start off by taking a look at this, uh, this phrase on the screen, life hacks, and what life hacks actually mean. Um, hands in the air if anyone has, is familiar with the phrase life hack. Most of us. OK, brilliant. Uh, does anyone have any ideas what that means to you? How would you define a life hack? Something that makes your life easier. Something that makes life easier. Good, yeah. It's a bit nifty. bit nifty. I like that. That's a good definition. Anything else? No? Great, that's fine. Um, Yeah, I, I was thinking the same sort of thing. Something, maybe a shortcut to doing something that might be a little bit DIY. Maybe you're sort of upcycling something to make life a bit easier or to enhance life in some way. And so I was sort of thinking, well, hold on, how are we going to do this when looking at the Bible? And I suppose the question really that I'm putting to you is, how do you approach the Bible? Do you approach the Bible reading it thinking, how is this going to enhance my life? How can I uh, take something from this to input into my life? How can I see God through this text? Um, And uh, uh, I um, did some research on the internet. Um, I googled life hacks and uh, came up with a few different things and uh, they're going to pop up on the screen now. So this is one of the life hacks that I saw for organising your cables. I don't know if anyone does this. Not me. Fab. Uh, next up we have this one. Oh, I thought this was very funny. Use a muffin tin to serve condiments at a barbecue. Would anyone be interested in doing this or... No, someone in the first service said it would make your muffins taste of onions. So maybe that's wise. Yeah, I don't know if I'd do that. Um, The third one is actually a very good one. This is one that um, my neighbour across the road uses, and if you can't work out what it is, there's a tennis ball attached to a string in someone's garage. And the person driving the car knows that when the tennis ball hits the windscreen, that's when to stop so that it don't crash into the wall in the garage. Brilliant idea, isn't it? Unfortunately, fortunately, all the rest are a bit, bit naff. Uh, the next one is uh, just a, a fun way of storing your, your footballs, I suppose. Um, and then is there another one? Fantastic. For all the popcorn lovers out there, uh, you can eat popcorn whilst you work. Um, and I was... Um, a common theme that I found when I was looking at these life hacks is most of them are pretty naff. Most of them aren't really, um, w- don't really enhance your life that much, apart from the tennis ball one, and maybe the popcorn one if you're really into that. And so I was thinking, what are some real life hacks that we actually use? And I don't know if anyone's got any. Does anyone have any ideas? Is there anything that you do to your life that you think enhances your life in some DIY way? If not, that's fine. That's fine. I'm going to show you something that I do, which I don't really know if it counts as a life hack, but it's something that I do with with the intention of enhancing my life. So this here is my sleep journal. Um, If you know me well, you will have heard of this. Uh, If not, then uh, be prepared to be amazed. So I've been keeping this sleep journal in various diaries since uh, January 2015. And let me show you what is in my sleep journal. Here you will see Every night before I go to bed, I write the date, I write what time I go to bed, what time I go to sleep, what time I wake up, how many hours sleep that is. It would be much easier with a smartwatch. But I do this with the intention of improving my sleep habits, improving my sleep routine. The fact that I've done it since 2015 and I'm still doing it probably shows you that it hasn't really worked very well. But it's a rhythm now, it's a routine that I can't let go of. Um, And I was thinking about this idea of life hacks and things that we can implement into our lives Um, and trying to think about it in terms of friendship. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think there really is an easy life hack to introduce to improve friendships. Friendships are hard, aren't they? Friendships are real. Friendships involve struggle. They involve real sacrifice, real pain and real joy. And um, we're, we're looking at this verse That Nate was sharing with us. And I don't know if anyone was here in the first service um, and remembers the handshake. It would be brilliant to see it at the end of this service. If you were there this morning, Uh, it was a very complicated handshake. I couldn't do it. Um, But the verse was this A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Is there a life hack for friendship? I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I do think that there are things that we can glean from the Bible, from God's word. And from uh, the book of Proverbs that can help us to think a little bit more, um, a little bit more in God's, uh, through God's perspective through at that topic of friendship. Uh, now, we've already chatted about what it means to be a good friend. There were some really good, uh, good bits of feedback earlier when Nate and Sarah were asking, what does it mean to be a good friend? What are some characteristics of a good friendship? And hopefully that's got you thinking about what that means. But there aren't many people that have all of those characteristics, are there? All of those attributes of being a a good friend. I mean, it's impossible really, isn't it, to be that perfect friend? Um, And we all know that because we've all had relationships, friendships, where something's gone wrong, where we've felt hurt, where something's gone a bit pear-shaped. And we know, don't we, that friendship is hard, friendship is tough. And the thing is, humans are relational beings. We know this. We read it right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the earthling to be alone in the original translation. God is a relational God. And if we call ourselves Christians, we are to emulate God. We are little Christs. And so we are to be relational too. God is relational with humans. He created us to be like him and his relational within himself, the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And so often in the church, we talk about um, relationships in terms of marriage and singleness and, and things like that. And we miss, we skip this really important foundational relationship, which is friendship. And I think it's such a shame because none of us could go through life without some sort of friendships. So how much do we actually really think about what it means to be a, a good friend, a friend that brings life? Um, I love this, this quote from Miriam Swanson uh, of Fusion, which is um, a, a charity that, uh, that helps uh, partner th- uh, students with local churches. And she says, she's talking about how so often in the church we, we, we only talk about marriage. And she says, yet Jesus calls friendship the highest form of love and celebrates it. Friendship, it's often overlooked, even though it's the the thing that we need the most. Another quote for you, this time from John Chrysostom, who was a 4th century bishop, um, and he was a hermit for a time, so he lived in solitude, in isolation for a while. And I found this really interesting, that him, as a one-time hermit, said these words, It would be better for us that the sun were exhausted than that we should be without friends. This man, this bishop that lived by himself in isolation in the desert somewhere, probably, is saying it's better that the sun cease to exist than we go without friendships. Wow. Wow. We're always interacting with others, and how we relate to them is, is our choice, isn't it? what levels of friendship we have, how close we are with people, how much we share. I'm sure there are people that you are thinking of right now where you're thinking they're a really good friend, they're a close friend, and that person's maybe a bit more of an acquaintance. Or maybe a family member that you think, oh, I don't really get on with them that well. And I wonder how much um, we let our relationship with God influence our relationship with those people in our lives. Um... Let's look at, um, let's look at uh, this idea of, of friendship and going at it alone. Because friendship is about sharing life together. It's about going through the good times and the not so good and the everything in between. Um, now, I wonder if I could get a show of hands. Who here has been uh, on a roller coaster at a theme park by themselves? Yeah? A, a few of us. Great, fantastic. Who's been. Uh, on a spa day by themselves a few not many okay who's been to an escape room by themselves no one i don't know if it's possible to do it by yourself isn't it i'm very excited because as a youth team we're going on an escape room next week it's going to be great um what about uh, a sleepover who's done a sleepover by themselves Mm, doesn't really work does it or playing football Play football by yourself, it's sort of just keep you uppies, isn't it? You can't really play football without other people. Or going on a road trip, doing a pub quiz, going to Ikea. Mm. If anyone is doing an Ikea trip and needs a companion, then uh, let me know. I love Ikea. (laughs) Life is better together. We were meant to do life together. God created us to be in relationship with each other. And that doesn't just mean, that verse that we read earlier, doesn't just mean marriage but it means friendship. It means getting alongside each other. It means being mates with each other. To share the fun moments and the tough ones too. And uh, when we think about that Proverbs verse, um, let me read it to you again, if I can remember it. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time out of adversity. There are those friends that we can really count on when we are in those times of adversity, the ones that are with you when the going gets tough, the ones that just come alongside you, the ones that just sit there in the quiet and be silent with you, as Nate and Shara were saying earlier. And this this verse talks about being a brother, someone that comes really close to you that you can count on closer than the other acquaintances in your life. Now, I thought we'd look at a bit of a Bible story together. Um, And I don't know how this is going to work. In the generation service this morning, I got some actors to come and help me. I don't know how much we're up for that in this service. I've talked to one or two of you already, and I know that you might be. But I need four volunteers to come up to the front and do a very, very simple acting role. Oh, Addo, is that your hand? Oh, fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Amelie, do you want to as well? Oh, brilliant. Oh, great. Yes, fantastic. So we only need one more person. Go on, Lindsay. Fantastic. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you very much. So we have these beautiful actors here, and what's going to happen is you are going to inhabit these characters that I'm going to give you. Okay, so you are going to become these characters, and I want you to think like them. I want you to act like them. I want you to have friendships like them. Mm. It's got you thinking. Right, I need one of you to be Moses. Who would like to be Moses? Lindsay, you could be Moses. So you get the bathrobe. It's not a spa day, it's a Moses outfit. And you also get the Santa Claus slash Moses beard. Fantastic. Um, Next, I need Emily. Do you want to be Aaron, Moses' brother? So you are brothers. Fantastic, you're looking brilliant, looking good. Yeah, it could do with a comb, but it's looking good otherwise. Um, Sue, would you like to be uh, don those uh, that outfit? You are going to be someone called Her. Her, good, good. Her is a, a very weird name in the in Exodus, spelt H-U-R. Oh, and a place. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, and So we've got Moses, we've got Aaron, Moses and Aaron are brothers, Moses is the, the, the leader of the Israelites, um, uh, we're reading from Exodus by the way, did I say that? And Moses is the leader of the Israelites, you've been in Egypt together, you've come out of slavery, You're, you've been in the desert, in the wilderness together, you've got your trusty brother Aaron beside you. Aaron, you are essentially Moses' assistant. You're going to help Moses out. You're going to be... You're, I, I, you can think like a real sibling. So you can imagine your own siblings when you think of this. I'm sure there are times when you get on really well. There are probably some times when you don't. But the other interesting thing is you're actually older than Moses. So really, you should be the one that's leading the people. But, you know, so you've probably got a bit of... Inside of you. Meanwhile, we have her. Great name, her. Her. Um, not much is said about you in the text, but I think probably quite a, you've probably got a bit of banter. I think you're, you're probably quite a, a good mate. So you are good friends with Moses, and you're good friends with Aaron. And then the final piece of the picture is Joshua. Now, Joshua, you should really have a sword, but I couldn't find a sword, so you've got a Nerf gun instead. <laughs> so the scene is set. We've got our four characters. We've got Moses, Aaron, her, and we've got Joshua. And... Um, What's about to happen is this, Um, you guys have enemies called the Amalekites, and the Amalekites are about to attack, and Joshua, you're about to lead the battle that is going to to go into battle against them, okay? So it's up to you how much you want to put into this, okay? (laughs) No pressure, but you know, the room is yours. So... um, so that's all that there is to say. I'm going to read the text, and actors, you do as you see fit. A little bit of improv. Is that okay? Fantastic. So I'm reading from Exodus chapter 17, and starting at verse 8. The Amalekites, enemies. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. <gasps> oh, no, oh, no. Great, good acting, brilliant. <laughs> Moses said to Joshua... Choose some of our men to go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of, the the of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. Great. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. So you can climb up a hill. Great. Brilliant, brilliant. Oh, Good. And then it says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. They were winning the battle that Joshua was fighting. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Oh, no. Oh, good, 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 good. When Moses' hands grew tired, Aaron and Hur took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. Good. Yeah, that's great. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on either side, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So you guys are going to stay there until about midnight, if that's okay. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the nerf gun. It says with the sword, but a slight textual translation. Fantastic. End of story. Thank you very much. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Lovely fighting. Thank you, Hur. Thank you, Moses. Thank you, Aaron. It is hot. You've done it. You can keep the jacket if you want to. Yeah, you can. Genuinely, fantastic. So that was just a brief retelling of this of this uh, of this story in Exodus. Um, uh, now, can I just ask you, Moses? What was it like holding up your hands? would have been painful. If you were here in the first service, you would have seen that I picked on a child in year six, who's about 10 or 11 years old, to hold his arm out with something in his hand for about 15 minutes, and he was growing very tired. It's tiring, isn't it? And um, you might be thinking, John, why are we talking about this random story in Exodus? What's it got to do with friendship today? But I just want to draw out a couple of things from that story. The first is that we need each other. Not only did Moses and Aaron and her and Joshua need God, of course they needed God. When Moses' arms were up in the air, God was on their side. God was uh, fighting the battle for them. But not only that, but they need each other. Moses couldn't possibly have the strength to keep his arms raised in worship at, until sunset. He needed his mates, his friends, Aaron and her, to keep his arms up. He needed them to place that stone under him so he could sit down. They needed to work together. We need friends, and we are needed to be friends too. Uh, and we struggle with friendships now more than ever, I think, um, than any previous time in history. And why is that? Th- it, loneliness. We, um, we, there's, there's a sh- the amount of loneliness that people are grappling with today is incredibly high. Uh, there's a quote here from the Campaign to End Loneliness. And they say it's considered to be one of the largest public health challenges we face. Um, And actually, 49.6% of adults, nearly 50%, last year said uh, that they, uh, in the UK, reported that they feel lonely occasionally, sometimes, often, or always. Half of us, that's, that's half the room, feel lonely. And it doesn't matter how many people are with you, how many people are in the room with you, or in your life group, or at your favorite summer festival, or uh, in your community group. It doesn't matter how many people you've got, not even on your Facebook friends list, or in your contacts, or whatever. What really matters is the quality of those close friendships that you have. It's not about quantity with God. It's about the quality. And... At Moses had Aaron, his brother, and her, this guy with banter, who he knew had his back, who he knew literally had his arms. And with her help, the uh, Israelites were able to win, to win the battle. It's not just about friends, it's about good friends. And uh, discipleship of Jesus which is learning to be like Jesus. If we're Christians, we're learning to grow more and more like Jesus. Discipleship of Jesus isn't an isolated individual activity. It's a corporate thing. It's something we do together. This is why we gather for church. This is why we have life groups. It's because this is something that we learn and journey on together. Um... And God's solution to loneliness, to the no one really gets me, because that's really what loneliness is all about. No one really gets me. God's solution is friendship. Real, close, authentic friendship. We need each other. More than marriage or a partnership, we need those fellowship with our sisters and our brothers. Um, Phil Knox, who's a a good friend of Riverside and has has written a, a brilliant book that I've read the first chapter of called (laughs) The Best of Friends. Um, And actually, coincidentally, he brought out a uh, spoken word piece just last week, which is fantastic. It's on YouTube. It's called We Need Friends, if you want to look it up. And he, he says this in his book and in the spoken word, actually, he says, it's better to eat kebabs with friends than salad on your own. And I love that. I love that. It's better to eat kebab with friends than salad on your own. Friendship is not lots of people at your birthday party. It's not how many people you know. They're great. Community is really important. Church family is really important. But deep friendship is knowing who the errands and the hers are in your life. Who the ones are that you have real, authentic friendship with, that you can count on in those times of adversity. Um, Another quote for you, this is by David Zal, the author of Low Anthropology and a theologian. He says, A friend is a person you spend time with because you want to, not because you have to or you need to. You confide in your friend because you are assured of their charity towards you. They both like you and love you, which means they're familiar with your less flattering qualities. They've witnessed you putting your foot in your mouth and have stuck around so who are your Aaron's and your hers? Um, and, and if I'm honest, I don't feel like I'm always a, a brilliant friend to my friends, to my people in my life that I wish I was a better friend to. I don't feel I'm as consistent or as present with them as I'd like to be. And um, uh, bless him, Nathaniel. Uh, we were talking about this the other day. Um, actually, you know, we shared this morning, didn't we? How Nate has a lot of grace for me because we're really good friends, but I'm not very good at messaging. And quite often, Nate will message me, and I won't reply. F- well, full stop. <laughs> but I think Nate knows that I love him and that we have a good friendship, a good relationship. And actually, it's it's the authenticity of the friendship that is really key. It's knowing what you know. It's knowing what is at the centre of your friendship. I I do try to be better with messages and um, Jesus shows us what a good friend looks like Jesus uh, shows us how to friend well really and uh, if you're wondering you know, what's God's plan for my life or maybe you're at at the start of a new chapter like the guys that we were praying for earlier and you're, you're at a juncture and you're thinking I don't know what to do with my life Jesus says plain and clear this is what's most important it's primarily to love God and to love others love God, love people Love God with your whole self. Love others in the same way that you love yourself. And greater than your plans for your life or your goals is to to just be a good friend. And why is that? Because you can do that whatever situation you're in. Whatever career path you're on or whatever uh, season of life you're in, you can friend well. And um, it, we, we, we read again in Genesis, this time in chapter 1, how... Uh, Every human being is created by God in God's image. And that means I'm created in God's image, and so are you, and so are you, and so are you, and so are you. And, so are you. and actually, to, to, to love a fellow image-bearer of God is to love God. Surely that's the, the greatest act of worship to God. To show love and compassion and authentic relationship to the ones that bear God's image. And uh, we're not very good at it, but we could be better. Um, And so it's important to know who your errands and your hers are, but it's also good to think about who can I be in an errand or a her to? Who are the ones that, that need my friendship? And then finally, and I'm sort of on my way towards the end now, is Jesus models this friendship beautifully. He knows who his most intimate crowd are his most intimate friends, and he knows the slightly wider group of friends. He knows the ones on the periphery. And he also says, I've got arms wide open for for everyone. Come and be my friend. And uh, we read in the New Testament about his, um, his adventures, if you like, with his closest group of friends, the disciples, the 12 disciples. But he's not exclusive. Again, another quote from Phil Knox he says, not only does God establish friendship, but he embodies it in Jesus. That's beautiful. And so, Jesus sets us the challenge of friending well. What does it mean to friend well? He calls for his followers who love others well. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, he says. That's from John 13. So, really, being a good friend, friending well, is a distinctive characteristic of being a Christian. It's not an add-on. That's what makes us, that's part of our core identity as Christians, is to friend well. And we're not perfect, no one's perfect, but we, we could always do with being a bit more like Jesus, or trying to at least. And uh, you might be that sitting there thinking, well, I don't think I'm a very good friend to people, or I don't even know who my friends really are, who my errands and my hers are. And, you know, that's perfectly normal. I think we all think that quite a lot of the time. And being part of the body of Christ, being part of church, of church family, entering into that is a powerful thing. Because at its simplest, friendship is about a shared interest. And at its most profound, friendship is about a shared purpose. And when we come together as church family, we might have all sorts of different interests. We might have nothing in common with each other apart from Jesus, our shared purpose. And that is a powerful heartbeat of relationship. So what does that mean? Well, join a community group, join a life group, go to open lunch, come to the prayer and worship evenings, say hi to people that you don't know. And you may be thinking, well, I know I could be a better friend a bit like me. Maybe your response is one of intentional friendship. God, I'm going to choose to be a better friend. I'm going to really try to be a better friend because Jesus, I know that you chose to be a friend to me. You chose to be such a good friend to me that you came to this earth and you let yourself be killed for me on the the cross. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he knows you better than anyone else, loves you more consistently, died for you. And offers uh, an invitation to friendship with him. And he knew how to friend well. He found his friends. He stuck with them even when they were idiots, which they often were, and so are we. And he traveled with them and worked with them and he parted with them and he ate with them and he did life with them. And he died for them as he died for you and me. And, you know, the last thing that Jesus did before he went off to be killed on the cross is he shared a meal with his friends. He uh, got round a table and they ate together and probably joked and had a laugh and probably shared some stories and had a good evening together. And this is what we call the, the, the Last Supper. He shared a meal. John Mark Comer, um, a, a pastor in the States says, the center point of, for Jesus' community is not the stage, it's not the pulpit, it's not the building, it's the table, it's the plate of bread, it's a cup of wine. And this is what we call communion, communion in community. And uh, in a few moments, we're going to take communion together ourselves as a way of approaching that table and joining Jesus at that table, that, that invitation to friendship, that place where we can be vulnerable with Jesus, where we can laugh, where we can share stories, where we can confess our wrongdoings, where we can be authentic, real. And so in a, in a moment or two, we're going to take the bread and the wine. And the, the bread and wine, it's a coven, it's a covenantal meal. A meal of commitment, of recommitting maybe ourselves to, to Jesus, to following him, to seeking after him, to being his friend, to allowing him to be our friend. It's a reminder of his love for us to the point of death. And uh, we're going to take communion together in a, in a, in a few moments to do that. To remember Jesus' death which brings us life. To give us the opportunity to be real and vulnerable with God. And to gather as friends, as community around the Lord's table. And when Jesus um, shared this meal with his friends, he talked about the bread as his body. Which was bruised, broken, crushed on the cross. And his blood the wine as his blood, which was spilled out from his body so that his disciples, so that his followers, his friends could have life, so that we could have life. And so we take the bread and wine, if we have a relationship with Jesus, to remember that, to be real with Jesus, to say thank you and to say, God, I, I want to recommit myself to a friendship to you.